Dear Disciple podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of university life and unpack what it means to be a disciple on campus. Welcome back to the You Disciple podcast. I'm Sister Mary Helen, and today we have a guest with us is Dr. Jared O'Shea. Welcome. Thank you. So, Dr. Jared O'Shea uh, is, um, I'm very pleased to say he's a family friend, um, and our paths have crossed at different times, but um, I have vague memories of where maybe he's been before. And um, so, I'm just trying to remember. I think initially, I remember he was principal of school. Actually, before that, we were just chatting about this, that he was, he married his lovely wife, Anne, um, and she's from Brisbane. Is that true? You're yes. not from Brisbane, though. Yes, I am. Oh, you are from Brisbane. Wow. We have a net gain from Brisbane to Melbourne. <laughs> um, so, um, so you taught in Brisbane for? About 15 years. Okay. That's, that's a good amount of time. And then you were principal of a school in? In New South Wales at Ganmain. Oh, okay, that's right. Okay, and then you went down to Melbourne. That's right. Okay. Yes. Where were you principal in Melbourne? I was principal at Corpus Christi in Kingsville. Okay. And at St. Patrick's in Mentone. Beautiful. Okay, wonderful. And then after that, uh, I think you were at the John Paul II Institute where you studied a doctorate on? I was looking at the relationship between nature and grace mm-hmm. and it had a particular religious education input in that. I wanted to find out uh, that important question. What is it in ourselves that's natural and how does that interface with the supernatural? Mm. And if you're teaching children or students of any level, that's a key question. Mm. How do you reach them? Because the integration of the two helps you to understand how to work with people. It's true. And trying to find the supernatural (laughs) when you are very aware of the natural (laughs) at different times. Uh, okay, beautiful. So then, and then you also taught there and have helped different people with their own doctorates. Yes, look, I've supervised twenty doctorates. Wow! And nearly all of them have been in the field of religious education. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, all of them. Wow! Yeah. And I'm very blessed with that yeah. because it meant I didn't have to do the research. All <laughs> these students were doing the research for me, and all I was doing was reading the fruits of their labor beautiful. and helping them to put an argument together. Yep. So I got to do a whole lot of things that I wouldn't otherwise have been able to do myself. It would have been too much work. Wonderful. And then you also taught at Notre Dame in yes. Sydney? Yes, I was a professor of religious education there. Mm-hmm. And then following that, I was working as the director of religious education and mission for the Diocese of Wilcannia Forbes. Yes, and I think... It's correct, isn't it, that you then proposed a whole new platform or... Oh, yes. I I wanted to implement the whole Montessori approach across a whole curriculum in a full school system. And they allowed me to do it. Wow. And uh, it, it did work. Wow. Beautiful. And so that's kind of the crowning glory, I suppose. <laughs> I got to work it out theoretically... Tested in a few schools and then across a whole system. Wow. 
Beautiful. In the middle of COVID. <laughs> In the last yeah, year or well, two. <laughs> COVID ended the project, the so to speak. Yeah. But, uh, it had been working. Beautiful. And then now uh, we happen to live just a few do- doors down from you in the convent, but apparently you're retired, but uh, you are not so often at home just no, twiddling right. your thumbs. Well, once people think you're retired, they think you have nothing to do, and I've ended up busier than I've ever been. Right, but fruitfully busy. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to um, just chat today with um, Jared about his uh, approach to education, and particularly to catechesis, um, but his whole life has been really dedicated to education, and I think you're even your children are involved in education and so you're retired and you're still educating and so it just sort of raised the my awareness of my the wonder at what is it that you love about this that you are not stopping this and you are multiplying this even you know now beyond a a job yeah Uh, could I say something there one of my students did a uh a doctorate on the connection between religion and happiness. Hmm. And one of the things he concluded and that I was able to benefit from is that when you discover what it is you're supposed to be doing, it makes you truly happy. Hmm. And so that's really the secret of why I stay in education. I was made for this. Beautiful. And it makes me happy. Amen. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and chat about educating in Christ. You're listening to the You Disciple Podcast, where we put the you in disciple. Okay, so I was reading this morning, and I tried to get my hands on this book, but it's uh, under wraps at the convent. Everybody's trying to get their hands on it. It's a book called Educating in Christ, a practical handbook for developing the Catholic faith from childhood to adolescence, and directed for to people. Parents, teachers, catechists, and school administrators. So something for everybody. And in that opening chapter, you talk about some of the influences on your approach to catechesis. And I, th- I wondered if you could just share. Well, because I'm talking to a Dominican, I have mm. to say first that St. Thomas Aquinas is the fount of most of the things we understand about education. Amen. In mm-hmm. fact, as I understand it, uh, whereas Augustine said, I Learn as I write, and I write as I learn. Mm. Thomas changed that for himself, and he said, I learn as I teach, and I teach as I learn. Mm. So he really is the model of teachers. Mm -hmm. But coming down to something more recent and practical, perhaps Maria Montessori is the key component, the the key influencer Mm. of what I've understood about education. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't mind saying a little bit about Maria Montessori. Sure, yes, yeah. Maria Montessori uh, was the first medical doctor who was a woman to graduate in Italy. And in the late 19th century, there was a lot of scepticism going around and uh, she became one of those, an unbeliever and a sceptic, because she believed in science. Mm. Now, one of the first things she did once she was uh, a woman doctor was that she was given an impossible task to work with a group of urchin children in the slums of Rome. And she did it in a very different way. She started observing them Mm. and seeing what they needed. 
and then by providing what they needed at the different age groups, she worked miracles. Mm. She was astonished at the changes that could be brought about, mm. not simply by taking a curriculum and laying it over them, mm-hmm. but by looking at what they needed and giving them what they needed at the time they needed it. Yes. And that's the essence of the Montessori method. Mm. Discover where they are developmentally and meet the need. Yeah. Now, something else happened while she was doing that. Uh, in the way of these things, Maria had an illegitimate son uh, when she was a non-believer. His name was Mario Montessori. And after her death, he wrote some amazing things about her. He was astonished and unable to work out what had happened to her. He said that once she discovered this method, something changed in her. Mm. He said that she left her stellar career and her associates at the university. She left the people who had been her friends and she followed the child and the child led her to Christ. Wow, that's beautiful. Absolutely. And so her understanding of what the child was is literally a fulfilment of the the biblical passage and a little child shall lead them. Yes. And I could say that in many cases that's what I've discovered in many people who discover how you work with children properly. Mm. What it does is help you to understand who God is. Beautiful. Yeah, I wonder even just that sort of losing herself in seeking to understand the other. It's it's just a very Christian um, reality. It loving unlocks a whole well, exactly. part of She you. was the friend of every Pope from Pius the Pius the eleven, uh, and even before then, Benedict the fifteenth, mm. Pius the eleventh, Pius the twelfth, John the twenty third, and John Paul the second as well. Wow. Paul VI, too, actually wrote a letter about her, which you can still read on the Vatican archives. Wow. Uh, John Paul II said, Montessori's method helps us to understand how to teach properly. Mm. Uh, He said that uh, she understood that the whole foundation, human foundation in education, leads on by a natural progression Mm. into the supernatural. And this is partly what she discovered Mm -hmm. and why she was pilloried by other educationalists. Mm. Uh, John Dewey, the great American (laughs) philosopher, had something awful to say about her. Mm. When he saw what she was doing, he warned the American public. He said, if you follow this woman's educational method, they will all end up serious Catholics. (laughs) That's high praise (laughs) from Dewey. (laughs) And then there was another person, is it Sophia Cavalletti? Yes, Sophia Cavalletti is the originator of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd which built on Montessori's method and used it to create a whole religious education program which is still extant and it works in all places around the world. So Mm. far, 38 different cultures have found to be easily adapted to this method. Mm. And it uses the Montessori method. It starts from what is concrete and goes on to what is spiritual Mm. by a natural progression. Yeah, beautiful. So I had been familiar with Catechesis Good Shepherd when I was in America. I think a lot of our sisters uh, in our community um, use that method in their classrooms in different ways. <laughs> Maybe not perfectly, but we try. Um, but so I think in your book you 
you um, refer to them, but I think you've also added um, your own sort of insights. Yes. Uh, so let's put this on the table. I greatly admire the catechesis of the Good Shepherd, but one of the problems that it has f- from my perspective is that it doesn't work terribly well in schools. Yes. And in Australia, uh, at least half of our Catholic children are in Catholic schools. And so what I've tried to do is adapt that method to work in schools. Mm -hmm. And there are various things that you have to have in schools that aren't part of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. For example, there's no way in any school that you're going to get away with not assessing. Yes. Right? And so I've developed a method of assessing that I think works with the Montessori method mm-hmm. by the use of a learning journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other things. Subsequent to the setting up of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, in 2007 the church went through a special synod on the Eucharist. And in that synod it proposed mystagogy as the method by which we should be teaching religious education today, especially the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Now, the Montessori method, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, does that. Mm. But it's not as explicit as I think that it it has become in what I've done with Educating in Christ. Yes. Uh, So I would never actually present anything concrete from the scriptures without linking it to the liturgy. Yes. That's what mystagogy is. So everything liturgical is connected to the scriptures and everything scriptural is connected to the to the liturgy. Could we uh, I'm just I'm I'm we're getting practical straight away but uh, I we're actually sitting in your atrium in your garage <laughs> out the back of your house where lots of little people come um, f- to be um, catechized here. Yes, well, not little people. We have adolescents as well. That's true. Yes, it's ex- extending the journey. But uh, I, it's impressive, even just from the very beginning, the way the room is set up. But just from the Annunciation on, um, this link, this mystagogical link is, is fascinating. I don't know if there's a way you could just sort of briefly say, give that as an example of maybe the Epiclesis and, and the Holy sure. Spirit. Well, Everybody is familiar, I hope, with the story of the Annunciation. And in the Annunciation, an angel comes to Mary and asks her to be the mother of God. Now, Mary does not immediately say, yes, that's fine. (laughs) She asks, how shall this be? Mm. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And that's how Jesus was going to come to be in her. And when Mary says the words, be it done to me according to your word, that's the moment where Jesus becomes present within her. Mm. Now come to the liturgy. Something incredibly similar happens when the priest consecrates the bread and wine. He begins by stretching out his hands in what we call the gesture of epiclesis. There is an epiclesis in every sacrament, and it always means the same thing. The Holy Spirit is coming to make Christ present. And so the priest stretches out his hands over the bread and wine, just like the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Mm. And then he says the words, this is my body, this is the chalice of my blood. And just as Jesus came to be in Mary, so on our altars, Jesus comes to be in what was bread and wine. Mm. And we actually refer to what happens on the altar as sacramental incarnation, Mm. a real presence. Now, that's not the only thing 
that you find in the liturgy. In fact, every single thing in the liturgy takes you to some mystery that has been revealed in the Bible in multiple ways. Mm. Uh, some years ago, I was working with some teachers uh, doing an accreditation course, and I explained fully the nature of, med- of mystagogy. One of the students said, oh, I know what I want to do for my, for my final assignment. I want to do a mystagogy of the Eucharist. And I said, well, that's really a worthy idea, but no, you'll never finish. Huh. <coughs> he insisted, so I let him go. Mm. 18 months later, I was very generous. He finally said, okay, I haven't finished, huh. but I've got to stop. Mm. And he took me out to his, the place where he was teaching. He was teaching a group of year nines. And he took me to their double indoor basketball court. Mm -hmm. And he had set out the various moments of the Eucharist. And he was connecting that by pieces of string with dioramas of the scriptures. Wow. And he said, the liturgy doesn't just connect you to one moment of the scripture. Every time I go to Mass, I hear some other moment of the scripture that it connects me with. Mm. And so... It's as if I'm going to have to spend a lifetime and more to see what's going on in the mystery of the Eucharist. Yes. and That's a great insight. That's <laughs> great. And look, uh, some months ago, no, a couple of years ago, I was at a first communion of my granddaughter, and he happened to be there mm. as well with his son. Mm. And he said, oh, I've actually continued working on it. Oh, that. goodness. <laughs> and said it's now one-third the size again because every time I go to Mass, I hear something else. Wow. That's a beautiful way to live. Absolutely. Of just finding these connections with Scripture and liturgy and entering more deeply into the mystery. Look, when we work with our adolescents, that's what we're doing. Yes. And they absolutely love this. Yeah. They notice the connections that exist between the liturgy and the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. And when we can get them thinking along those lines, there's never a moment where they're going to come to the end of it. Yes. And never a boring moment in the Mass. That's right. Uh, because they hear something they haven't heard before. Yes. They see something that they haven't seen before. Mm. Cavaletti made this comment. She said that in the Eucharist, everything God has ever done, everything he is doing now, and everything he will ever do is in some way symbolized. Wow. Huge. And I found that to be true, absolutely yes. true. Okay, so I'm just... Um we, we got a bit excited, but <laughs> we're getting to the this whole integration. Mean, we can touch on the concept of integration because we're talking here about integra- you know, scripture and liturgy and how they are connected. Um, the manner of presentation as you're speaking about, say, the epiclesis and the Annunciation, when you present this to, to children, adolescents, they're, um, you're really involving the senses, you're awakening, you know, love for... God and they're also um, receiving a lot of truth. I mean, you can walk out of catechesis uh, of the Good Shepherd when you're ten and know more than many people um, have known after you know a lifetime of study just because you you love it. So you have this. Um, you make a reference to this Trinitarian aspect. Yes. Okay. Maybe you can Absolutely. just share. Absolutely. Uh, one of Cavaletti's key comments was that catechesis goes from body to heart to mind. Mm. As I've reflected on that over the years, I've come up with uh, 
some further ideas about that that I don't think are mine. I think they're traditional in the church. Uh, we are created in the image of God. We know that. But yeah. what does it mean? Mm. God is a trinity. And so in some senses, uh, and this doesn't exhaust the mystery of the trinity or the mystery of the human person, but in the educational side of it, we learn exactly that way from body to heart to mind. Now, body, heart and mind actually correspond, uh, if you read St. Thomas, to aspects or persons of the Trinity. How do we enter in to the reality of God? It is through Jesus Christ, mm. who is a body. Mm -hmm. And everything about Jesus requires some as application of the senses. And then where does that take us? It brings us to a love of what we've encountered with the body. Mm. And the Holy Spirit is associated with that love. And eventually that takes us on to an understanding that comes from God himself, God the Father. Mm. So we enter through Jesus, go to the Holy Spirit, and then to the Father. Mm. Now if you listen to the words of the liturgy, think about what every prayer does. We make our prayer through Jesus Christ in the communion of the Holy Spirit to the Father. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. We call that in theology perichoresis, mm -hmm. which is a high-sounding name for a dance. A dance, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so essentially there's never a moment where you're only doing one thing, mm -hmm. where it's only the body or only the heart or only the mind. Mm -hmm. Always those three dimensions, those three realities are interacting. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens in the Trinity too. Mm -hmm. There's never a moment where it's just the Father or just the Son or just the Holy Spirit. Yes. All of them act as one. Mm -hmm. So there's a Trinity in unity. Mm -hmm. And educationally, there's the same thing, a Trinity in unity. Mm. When I was going to school, we had to learn a whole lot of things off. Catechesis was very much of the mind. Mm -hmm. right? And then sometimes, of course, we have the, the sacraments, uh, and that's for the body. Right. And the, um, we'd have other things that we loved, beautiful pictures, uh, lovely, you know, sweet-smelling things, uh, all of those other things. Mm -hmm. And then we'd actually have to do philosophy and theology for the mind. Mm. What Montessori did, was integrate the three, and Cavaletti took it to an art form. Mm. And that's essentially what Catechesis of the Good Shepherd does. It integrates body, heart, and mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you see, um, I don't know if, if you, people who haven't seen this type of approach in, in play, um, if you walk into one of these spaces um, where young people are learning, they're in silence generally for a lot of the time. And they are, um, they have a lot of visual, physical um, aids um, to their learning. Um, and there's a lot of just silent sort of work, prayer work, you would call it. Is that right? Yes, it is like that. Yeah. And Mon Montessori made the comment that a lot of people find difficult. She said that 70% of human learning comes through touch. Mm. And Educationally, she made a hugely controversial statement that she stood by and defended. She said that writing precedes reading. Mm. That's not the way it's taught. Mm. She said that when you start children 
learning to read, you actually let them make letters in sand trays mm-hmm. or running their finger over sandpaper letters mm-hmm. so that the feel of it makes it more real. Mm-hmm. And then you put it together. Yeah. So the touch leads to this intrigued approach where they love it mm-hmm. and then finally they put it together in the mind. Mm-hmm. So many things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might say something if you don't mind sure. about the, the the structure of presentations in a Montessori approach. Excellent, yeah. Essentially you begin with something very concrete and the catechist or the teacher presents something to the children only once, only once. And there's an explanation, so we might have the Last Supper being presented with a diorama and all 12 apostles and Jesus represented by wooden figures with specially painted faces in a box diorama representing the uh, Senecal, the Last Supper. And then the scriptures are connected to it. So you learn the the concrete Mm. and you learn the, the words of the scriptures. And then... After that, the children are sent off just to work with materials. And it doesn't have to be with what was presented that day. They can work with anything at all that has already been presented, whatever it is that they're drawn to. Mm. And when I say drawn to, I'd like to suggest that the person doing the drawing is actually the Holy Spirit. Mm. (laughs) So they're drawn to the thing that they need Mm -hmm. on the day that they need it. Yeah. So when I first started teaching, there was none of that. Yes. Basically, you will do what I, I say. Go in, <laughs> you will do as I say. Here's the textbook. Open it up at page 15 and yes. you're going to do those sums. Yes. All right. No. Mm. But it's not actually how human beings work. Mm-hmm. And the moment you do that, you're fighting them. Yes. Sorry, I'm interrupting, yes. but I'm just thinking. So we, we've talked a little bit about the body, like the importance of the material aspect and even sacramentally, the, you know, we're body and soul and that um, it's an error to just, you know, leave that out of the process of catechesis. Exactly. The other thing that uh, is absolutely implicit in the Montessori method is the thing that constitutes human beings as human, free will. Yes, if you tell them they are going to do this, and I don't care if you don't like it, you're just going to do it. Yes. You've already set up a barrier. Right. What they need is some kind of choice. Mm. It doesn't have to be chaotic. And mm. she was very much against chaos. Yes. But it's a choice where you say, you could do this one or this one or this one, but you have to do all of them eventually. So work out the sequence you want to do them in. Right. right. And they would go off and do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that to be exactly what's needed. So long as you give them some kind of a choice, it's going to work. Yeah. Does that part, the, even just the choice part, I think plays into this. So you've got body and then you've got heart. Like there has to be a movement, um, uh, a space for wonder or, you know, facilitating this, yes. being drawn to it, drawn into the mystery. Well, Cavaletti's definition of wonder Mm. is exactly commensurate Mm. with St Thomas's. Mm -hmm. She said, just let this sink in, Mm. wonder is evoked by an attentive gaze at reality. Mm, Wow. And so when you are in the presence of something real, something beautiful, then that's what causes wonder. That's what causes you to ask, how did this come to be? 
So when I stand on the cliffs of Lockhart Gorge and <laughs> look across Bass Strait, wonder is evoked in me. Yes. And wonder has a natural consequence in human beings. It creates joy. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what we're getting out of children when we allow them to wonder at these materials that we've created for them is a natural capacity for joy yeah. where they take pleasure in what they're doing mm-hmm. and they get to choose. Yeah. And if you make them do the same thing every day, that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, there has to be that space for freedom. And even just that's the Lord's method too. He's often proposes but doesn't impose, you know, if you wish, if you want, uh, would would you like to leave? (laughs) He's very uh, respecting of our freedom. Now, it's not just materials that we offer them, of course. Yes. In the beginning, we train them with a wide variety of possible responses that they could make to anything that they've seen. Okay. We, we allow them to paint with watercolours, to draw, to make models in sand or Play-Doh. We allow them to uh, write. Mm-hmm. Some children like writing. Mm-hmm. We allow them just to sit in front of the prayer table and think about it. Yes. We allow them also to do what we call practical life activities, mm-hmm. to polish metal, to dust things with tiny paintbrushes. Yes. To cut flowers. Now, all of those things are capable of creating wonder and creating joy and that opens them up to another dimension that we don't often include in the work we do with religious education. It opens them up to the capacity for contemplation. Mm-hmm. I think it's just moving us into what I while I'm reflecting on your comments earlier about... Uh, Saint Benedict and Lexio. Yes. This, so you 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 have some interaction with the thing. You have space. You have sort of directed yes. um, possibilities of interacting with something, and then you're brought into a moment of contemplation. Exactly. Uh, just to explain that more deeply, sure. Uh, Sister and I were having a conversation earlier, uh, where I asserted that I think it was Saint Benedict who actually discovered the Montessori. Yes. (laughs) And Lexio Divina, the traditional prayer of uh, Western Latin monks, follows exactly the process that Montessori uses. Mm -hmm. You start with a Lexio where something is presented to to you and it can be by body, heart or mind. Something Mm -hmm. Something new is presented to you. The next stage in Lexio Divina is meditatio. You think about it, you have it explained, and so far it's, you know, you've gone from the body to the mind. Mm. And the scriptures, when they're involved there, are what affects the heart because Jesus is the word of God. He's always present in his scriptures. And if if you allow that to affect you, you've got this going for you. Mm-hmm. The final stage, well, sorry, the next stage of Lexio is prayer. Uh, you get to be in the presence of God and ask him for the things that you need. Mm. But the final stage is contemplation. And contemplation cannot be forced. Okay. It's not about discursively moving from one thing that you've learned to another. It's not meditation. Mm. It's just waiting on the Lord. Mm. And, of course, those of you who have read the life of St. John Vianney will remember the story of Pierre Chaffon-Gion, 
one of the parishioners of ours. St. John Vianney noticed that he was just going to the church every day on his way to and on the way back to the fields and just sitting there. And so he said to him one day, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, I look at the good God and he looks at me. Mm. And that's all. That's it. And that's contemplation. Yeah. And contemplation happens where you receive some inspiration that you're not asking for but just comes anyway. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you know things. Mm. And that's accounted for in a Montessori method mm. because the children during their choice time are given things to do. Yes, they do things, but while they're doing it, while they're washing leaves or <laughs> cutting flowers, that's when the insights come. Yes. I, I have to tell this story because I have to tell it to everybody. I, I worked in a lot of indigenous communities when I was working through of Wilfong reforms. And at one stage, I was in Burke, not, not necessarily the most easy place to work, but beautiful Indigenous children. And I was there on the second day of school uh, one year, and I posed a question to them, where is Jesus right now? And they gave me great answers. Mm-hmm. One, one child said, he's in the church, and you can tell when they have lights on. Mm-hmm. Jesus is in heaven. Yes, great. And then one little boy, second day of school, indigenous child said, yeah, but he's in my heart and he's talking to me all the time. Beautiful. Truth. (laughs) So I looked at the principal who was in the room and he he didn't know where that came from. Right. And then another child preempted us, uh, a white child in the class, who said, what does he say? Beautiful. And this child gave the best answer for contemplation that I've ever heard. Mm. He said, well, you know, it's like when you're walking through the bush and you're really quiet and then you come out on the other side and you know things you didn't know before. Wow, excellent. (laughs) That's the way God talks to you. Yeah, that's perfect. That that is the way God talks to you. Yes. It's not, I sat down and I read this and I worked out this idea and now I know it. No, that's not the way contemplation works. And it was St. Thomas who said that contemplation is a means by which we participate in the knowledge of higher beings. Mm. It's not natural to human beings, but Mm. it's part of our experience. Mm -hmm. So It's a gift, yeah. Offering the gift of contemplation to children where they can actually encounter God in that way Mm. is probably the very best thing you meet. Yes. Our adolescents are astonishing with this. We yeah. let them go on the scriptures and say, I wonder what that means, and give them time to wonder. Mm. They come up with all sorts of things that I never knew. Yeah. I probably have talked too much. No, I? I've just realised we've <coughs> been having a great time and we are almost out of time. We, we probably shouldn't finish without just just we've gone body, heart and mind and clearly truth is important and I actually appreciate in the um, – the little booklets that you provide for teachers in our normal classrooms that you you do provide at the end. Okay, this is the doctoral statement. Like we're going yes. here. The kid is not can is to wonder, but there's yes. a truth that is uncreated and <laughs> that we yes. we must arrive at. And in our learning journals, every yes. everyone has a doctrinal statement. Yeah, and that constitutes what they have to be able to tell you. 
what they have to be able to explain. Right. They have to know that one of the things that the church means by this is this, a doctrinal proposition. Right. And that's very valuable. Yes. But the other thing that happens in a learning journal is, yes, they know that, Mm. but they know so much more. Right. And And they they love it. They tell you so much more. Yes. And often they, they will look at you when you propose the doctrinal statement just say yeah yeah <laughs> that's obvious that's the first point yeah but, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but if you don't do that mm-hmm. if you don't cause them to remember the things that you've taught them mm-hmm. this too will pass away true yes so it has to be there yes well thank you so much we've um i think we could just talk all day but we don't have all day yes you unfortunately if you have talked to other people who've talked to you getting away from me at a party is very <laughs> <difficult>. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And um, I think, I mean, we know where to find you. Um, There's lots, he's, Jared is still teaching lots of people and lots of teachers, um, lots of children. And um, and it's beautiful. His students are all over the world. Um, And so we just pray for um, continued fruits of all of this. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And, um, Yes, go and check it out somewhere. There's there's all sorts of groups doing this sort of thing. Yes, and you could also read the book of Educating in Christ. Thank you very much. Whether you've been listening to us on the tram, in the library, or on your way to class, thanks for listening to this week's You Disciple podcast. Share, like, and subscribe, and we hope to see you on and around campus. The Your Disciple Podcast is a production of the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne.